Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you, just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Now, acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. The Staff and Graph Podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In links or salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team Tidy Business, baby. Welcome back to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Mike Stevens. Sitting across from me virtually is not the future first GM and a female GM in NHL history, Rachel Dory. It is, you know, a, a dashingly handsome man, a man of many talents, and his two former NHLers would uh, would like to attest to a fucking pigeon. Um, Ian Tulloch. Ian, buddy, it's great to have you on the show. How you doing? I'm doing great. I've been called worse, so it's okay. I mean, Pigeon, I've By been me. Graph. Yeah, Mikey usually has some nice ones for me when I turn the puck over in NHL 20, so... Oh my god! Or twenty one too. We haven't. We we've just given up on that game at this we point. We were good at NHL twenty. We're not so good at NHL twenty one. I don't know what it is. Dude, we were div. We were div one. NHL twenty. I don't know what happened in the in the height of in the height of quarantine. Everyone just got lives. Like Steve. Like Steve Dangle got a kid and he got busy. And you know James Myrtle. He's got a kid. He's got two kids. It's just people. People have you know responsibilities. We're just here and. Well, it's a kids' table edition, I guess, because Rachel's usually the the one who who you know reigns. Although I'm the person who kind of navigates us through the waters, Rachel's the one who usually you know reigns us in to to be more professional. But she's not here, and she can't tell us what to do. So Ian and I, we're gonna have some fun. Um, just before we we hop in, buddy, how like you know I know we we talk in in group chats literally twenty four seven at this point, but how's how's quarantine been treating you? Any any terrible habits you've picked up from? You know, from not seeing any any uh, human souls or anything like that, or what's what's going on? I mean, probably it feels like any time I have a social interaction with someone in real life, you know, where you're masked up and you're at the grocery store, I just yeah. feel like my day to day kind of small talk uh, per sixty has gone down. <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a replacement level player now at this point. It's just yeah, I I can't hold a conversation with someone I pass by in the street when I'm on the way to go pick up you know milk or something like that. It's and you know me, I'm a talker, so. I don't know what mm-hmm. happened, but the last year or so, I'm not sure if you noticed, but it, it, it could have gone better for people in the sports media industry. <laughs> but yeah, you know, no kidding. One day at a time here. I'm trying to get back into what I what I like to think I do best, and it's you know breaking down hockey in a fun, mm-hmm. nerdy kind of way. But you've got some topics prepared for us today. I figured we should just hop into those and, and start talking hockey because that's why we're here, right? Exactly. Yeah, sounds like a good time. So let's hop into headlines. Everyone's on sale. 
when it comes or for sale, I guess not on sale. They're going to try and get, you know, maximum value for them. But everyone's for sale on the Predators, except for three players, which was reported on headlines that the, the Predators are essentially looking to kind of sell the shop. But they're going to hang on to as, un, you know, they're they're untouchables. Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi and quizzically Pecorine for some reason, maybe just it's his last season. So so that's it, like it might be his last season. So that's why they just don't want to they want him to retire as a predator. But this is. Look, this is news. I mean, Rachel and I talked about this on the podcast two weeks ago, I think, where it was just what the what the hell's going on in, in Nashville? They need some new blood, some fresh blood. And then here they are saying, you know, everything that's not kind of stapled down is for sale, including a pretty good player in Philip Forsberg. What's the likelihood of this of this actually coming to fruition? Yeah, I was reading the Pierre Lebrun article before we recorded because I knew this was something you wanted to talk mm-hmm. about. Uh, Pekka Rene, by the way, has a no-move clause, so that's why he's there. I know he's obviously ah. not in the same tier as a, you know, uh, Victor Arvidsson or a Philip Forsberg. Or... It sounds like well, they Arvidsson, want... yeah. he's ready to go. So, Philip Forsberg has been one of my favorite players to watch in the league over the last few years. When mm-hmm. he's on and when he's making plays off the rush, some of his highlight reel goals, you can just YouTube Philip Forsberg goals. And some of the moves he's able to pull off in open space, we don't watch it because not too many people are watching the Nashville Predators on a nightly basis, East Coast mm-hmm. bias and whatnot. And even if you're watching East Coast games, you're probably not focusing too much on the Nashville Predators. I don't know, maybe you are. And if you are, then you know how good Victor Arvidsson is. You know how good Philip Forsberg is. You know how good Matthias Ekholm is. And he's the name that I really want to bring up because his yeah. contract right now is $3.75 million this year and next year. For a guy who, for my money, is a, a first-pairing defenseman at 5-on-5, five five. he doesn't have those massive point totals that you get from scoring on the power play. But one of my big things is that I think points are overrated when we're evaluating defensemen, especially when you look at guys who put up a lot of points on PP1 but maybe aren't providing that value at 5-on-5. Five five. As Leafs fans, we've seen that before uh, with a Tyson Berry or a Morgan Riley that we've uh, talked I'm sure we're going to talk about him at some point. But That in the biz is what we call a tease. Yeah, just got to give people a little taste of what's coming later. But with Matthias Ekholm, uh, I think he's the big name here for me. I know Philip Forsberg, obviously a dynamic forward who any team is looking to add some offense. He's someone you obviously want to look into. But when the Leafs traded for Jake Muzzin or when the Tampa mm-hmm. Bay Lights Lightning traded for Ryan McDonough. It's that kind of presence. It's a legitimate top-pairing defenseman who can impact play at 5-on-5. There are going to be a lot of teams who are looking for him. I'm not sure if we're going to dive into specific teams who are going to be looking to acquire each player, but... Look, we can do that now if you want. I mean, we could. Which teams... I mean, realistically... Like, why not? Who's making the cup run? I mean, Vegas has been in on every star player that's been available yeah. over the last couple of years, ever since they entered the league. Colorado was rumored to be interested in Taylor Hall, so I know they're probably going to take another run at him this year. If they swing and miss, maybe they go for a Philip Forsberg or Victor Arvidsson type. When we're looking at Nashville, we're looking at the fire sale, they're, they're trying to unload everybody. What's a trade that, that comes to mind for you in terms of something that's a really good fit for both teams, maybe? I mean, look, it's, it's tough. It's, it's really tough to kind of parse through this because money is so tight just entirely around the league. And when there's no cap hit, like, or when there's enough cap space, any team with enough cap space, they're pro- there's a reason for that. And it's because they're kind of not trying to win. Like, it's like one that jumped off the page for me is maybe a Montreal just, be- just because of how much they're struggling right now. And it seems like they're, they need exactly that. Like, they need, in, in fact, like, in, uh, you know, just an injection of someone, who, a competent defenseman up top, someone with real high end skill. And maybe, you know, a package that's surrounding Yes, Barry Cock and Yemi could be part of that. Grant, uh, you know, Grant Todd or Grant Mc- or, no, 
that's a combination of the two worst guys on Habs, uh, Habs Twitter. Um, Grant McKegg, not Jack Todd, uh, probably just rolled over in his grave at this point, even though he's not dead. Um, but yeah, no, it's it, it, it's really weird. Like Colorado, like you said, yeah, that would make sense. I mean, they they do kind of they. I was gonna say, you know, because Ekholm is is a he's a left shot, right? Yep, so left he's side. Yep. exactly. So I was gonna say, you know, they they could have a an opening up on maybe on the left side, but then Bowen Byram's kind of stepped in and just being an absolute stud. So and shocker, he looks great. So I mean, oh, who could have seen that coming? Not me, that's for sure. Um, like Colorado would probably be a good a good fit just because they are seemingly to, like wanting to load up and they're gonna need to move money out. Anyway, especially if they're going to try and, and get Taylor Hall, considering he's got eight million left. But yeah, maybe Montreal like that. That would that's kind of as much as it would suck for Leafs fans. Like that's kind of my point of view because look, like Joel Edmondson, he's not cutting it. These guys on the back, like Sherratt's had a really rough start to the year, so they they kind of need an infection or an in- injection of some pretty competent top line defending. Yeah, and I know Canadian teams in the in the North Division they don't like playing left-handed puck movers in you know, a Victor Mate or an Eric Brandstrom. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you do need to bring that grizzled veteran to, to come in and take that ice time. <laughs> uh, just a thought, Victor Arvidsson on the Montreal Canadiens. Perfect fit? No, just in terms of That'd an, be pretty an good. annoying, you know, POS type of player to play against and goes hard. Oh, well, they don't have any of those. No, no one comes to mind. Brendan Gallagher, Josh Anderson and company. Just no, tr- no, no. throw Victor Arvidsson into the fold and just fire pucks from the blue line every time <laughs> and they'll go get the offensive rebound. So, I mean, that's been their offensive game plan, basically. So why not throw Arvidsson in the, into the mix? And they they need offense. They, I, You know, it was Eric Engels who tweeted out that they've scored, I think, one or, or two or fewer goals in uh, like the last, what, seven games or something. Like it's been it's been a tough sledding for the Habs recently and they clearly need some scoring help because look josh anderson has a great start to the year but he's not you know a 40 goal guy uh tyler Toffoli's had a great start to the year he's you know he's he's not gonna single-handedly will them will them there there's a lot of a lot of wheel spinning on that habs uh roster that i've been i've noticing lately and you brought up montreal i know this is a topic you wanted to talk about just their play over the last few games i don't know what the xg was in that game against ottawa but it was brutal they got absolutely destroyed by the ottawa senators one game samples i'm not huge on evaluating which i say as someone who does it literally every game for the toronto maple leaves <laughs> paid to do it so it's like yeah, you're not huge on evaluating let's not over i analyze one game and then here i am writing a 2000 word article on one game mm-hmm. so i mean who am i to to bring that up but with Montreal a lot of their forwards were just they had career highs in shooting percentage to start the season Tyler Toffoli Josh Anderson and company oh of course you knew eventually that was gonna teeter off a little bit but I don't know I'm looking at Montreal's roster right now I don't love again like you said Joel Edmondson on the left side in the top four but I do like Jeff Petrie. I like Shea Weber. I like oh, Alex Romanov. Yeah. Maybe not as much as a Grant McKagan company but you know I think he's a talented player could any of those guys swap maybe like it's have we seen any? I, I'm just spitballing here because obviously Montreal needs some help on the back end. They have a lot of guys who kind of are spinning their wheels at this point. And Matthias Heckholm, I mean, for for that cost for and for another guaranteed year, like that would be pretty. That would be you know a, a queen's gambit, if you will. Yeah, they're going to be looking for futures, I'd imagine. So if you're acquiring a Matthias Ekholm, I'd imagine they would want a Romanov or a Mete or you know a first and a high end prospect. That's usually the price that you're looking for for these types of defensemen. Yeah, and they have them though. They do. Like they like Kakinyemi. He's someone you know. I, I think you know. Obviously Suzuki's off the table for that. But unless you know, again Grant McKay with the incredible uh, <laughs> with the incredible trade proposals. Did you see his yesterday of the ja- of with Jack Eichel? 
I don't follow Grant McKaig. I don't know why we're bringing him up so often. This reminds me when we talk about Steve Simmons articles. Can we just not talk about bad work? Can we instead talk about good work and try to promote it? It's just funny because there was one where he was yesterday. It just comes up into my timeline. He was just like, if you uh, do you think if the Sabres offer Jack Eichel for Nick Suzuki, um, who was it? Nick, Nick Suzuki, like a defense prospect and, and a second round pick. Do you think Bergevin would be convinced to accept that? I'm like, uh, buddy, that's a little rough on your part. But yeah, no, it's Gary Price had like what was a 960 high danger save percentage, which is just like unbelievably unsustainable. Like we all knew this was this was coming to an end. Some people were, were saying they were juggernauts, uh, which has become a meme at this point. But I don't know. Look. The, the Predators, this is one of the most intriguing kind of sell-offs in a long time because they have a lot of really good complimentary players, but that's kind of what has doomed them is that all their players are complimentary and they don't really have that superstar, at least up front. Um, but a team, like a contender looking to acquire a Philip Forsberg for, you know, a cup push, like potentially the Avalanche, like that's, that is scary. That is league wrecking potential right there. Yeah, and when you consider the Colorado Av- Avalanche, they just like casually adding good players. You know, Devin Taves comes into their teams l- later yeah. in the offseason for two second-round picks. Oh, yeah, they acquired Brendan Saad. Why not add a Philip Forsberg to the mis- mix? And what's crazy about the Colorado Avalanche is that they still have good young prospects who haven't even been in the league yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have Alex Newhook. He's one of the fastest skaters not in the yeah. NHL right now. He's someone they could potentially look into moving. You brought up all those blue liners that they have. I don't know if Connor Timmins is getting regular minutes, but again... He's someone that if you don't want to play him regularly, if you want to use him as an asset to bring in someone else in a trade, he's someone who comes to mind. There are a lot of options here, realistically. I mean, whenever we do trade recommendations and, ooh, who could get traded where, you look at 95% of the the trade proposals online, and they're all terrible. Like you said, it's it's Jack Eichel for, oh, "Oh, my team's second-line winger and a B-level prospect. What was the joke that we had in Toronto? What was it? It was it was it was Brown Bracco in a second. Yeah, yeah. Connor Brown, Jeremy Bracco in a second-round pick was enough to get mm-hmm. you any top-pairing defenseman in the NHL, and that's just not how it works. And man, if if only because they the Leafs did not sell high on either of those two guys. Let me tell you, but they, hey, Carl, they could have gotten Carl Grundstrom, Sean Dursey in a first-round pick is enough to get you a top-pairing defenseman. Yes, so and, yeah. and a late first. We have to qualify that too. It's not like they gave up a lottery pick, my friend. I mean, it's not like it was, you know, a high, it wasn't the 29th or 31st overall pick. What Where was no, it? No, no, it wasn't. It was like 24th or something or 22nd, something like that. All right. Speaking of Leafs, um, and this will be a segue into the Calgary Flames. Jake Munson apparently ruined them. Elliot Friedman talked on his podcast uh, on the 31 Thoughts podcast today that essentially like Muzzin flipping that puck at you know, at Tuchuk at the end of a game, you know, what was it a month ago? Ruined their room or it's, it's at least in part played a part in ruining the room. And now they're looking to, as he quotes, like significantly alter their roster. This is again, like teams are just, you know, folding under the pressure here and the flames after a promising start after, you know, a lot of really, really, you know, marquee signings in the off season are now in disarray and are looking to sell things off. What is your take on the Flames so far this year? Like, is they have the goal, they have the goalie, you know, but the, you know, in Markstrom, but at the same time, they have a core that has proven kind of time and time again that they don't deserve a chance to run. They they were, you know, without maybe the regular season success, they were the the you know DeRozan, Dwayne Casey Raptors, except and they didn't make that they didn't do that risk of of getting rid of you know that that core player that wasn't going to take them over the top and they decided to run it back with this Monahan Goudreau pairing that hasn't 
it's it, it pro- has not proven to be effective. I do like Andrew Mangiapane. If we're going to talk about players that I do yeah. like on Calgary, he's someone who's been playing in the top six, and he's the been bread awesome. man. Yeah, I loved him in his pre-draft year in junior. Oh, I, I, I remember. I'm sure you did. I'm up, sure you did. Like just five oh, on five God. points per sixty back in the day. I like had all my spreadsheets and everything, and I was going. Why isn't this guy getting more minutes? He's tearing it up on like the second or third line in the OHL. And then the next year, I think he had a 100-point year in junior, and he got drafted late by Calgary. I don't know if it was the sixth or seventh round. I'd have to look it up. but That might be the most on-brand thing you've ever said. That might be like that is Ian Tullock to a T right there. I was looking up five on five points per sixty of Andrew Mangia Payne's pre-draft year. Yeah, of sixteen year olds in the OHL. This is Are you I, kidding me? That's not what you do with your free time? No? Or obsess over no, Josh I talk, Levo? <laughs> hey, you know, he 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 fits in here because he's he's a Calgary flame and a lot of people have forgotten that. Uh Rasmus Anderson's another guy I've been obsessed with for years, is on the Calgary yeah. Flames. Uh he signed that big contract that I'm not sure if he's quote unquote earned yet, but I know Noah Hannafin signed a similar one where, you know, it was kind of when the date that you specifically signed it, maybe he wasn't worth that, but you project him developing into that type of player. Like Mitch Marner, maybe. <laughs> I mean, if he if he leads the Leafs some points this year, does that does that do anything for him? No, I, I'm saying he's he's now. Oh, it when it's when when you're telling me if it does something for me. Oh boy, you better believe it. Um, but no, he's he's earning it now. Didn't earn it. He didn't he didn't earn it, or he wasn't worth it at the time. But he's definitely earning it now. We just have not kind of seen those rises from from either Hannafin or Anderson, I guess. Yeah, getting to Calgary, I think you look at their blue line and you look at the names on their blue line and you would mm-hmm. expect the results to be better than they currently have been. You know, Mark Giordano, I think he's probably the most underrated defenseman of the last decade. I think he's right up there with Doughty and Hedman and, uh, you know, prime P.K. <laughs> Subban in terms of just how much this guy impacted winning. I don't think he won enough Norrises. I think there's... Can, tw- you, can you be underrated and a Norris winner at the same time? Like, he's won a Norris. I mean, he, he, it was kind of like a career achievement, Norris, even though he probably did deserve it that year. Uh, I'm not sure Every if Norris is a career achievement, Norris, at this point. No one gets... No one knows how to evaluate defensemen, so they all get them years later. It's the Leo and the Revenant kind of thing. We didn't appreciate him when he was kicking ass in Wolf of Wall Street, so he gets the best actor for The Revenant when he definitely should not have. Well, maybe the Chris Tanev contract is a good example of that, too, because he yeah. was an elite defender for a long time, and the numbers show that he, he hasn't been for the last couple of years. You know, injuries have kind of caught up with him. When he plays with Mark Giordano, he has good results, but so does every other defenseman in the history of the NHL. So mm-hmm. I'm a bit worried if I'm a Flames fan right now, looking at my blue line, wondering how to get value out of Chris Tanev. Because, yeah, you're going to play him on PK1. Yeah, you're going to play him in the last 10 minutes of the third when you're protecting a one-goal lead. But just in the regular flow of play, first, second period, how much is Chris Tanev impacting winning right now? I got to tell you, I don't think it's as much as his cap hit indicates. And uh, I mean, for Calgary, they've had a few contracts like that in the past where they pay a little bit too much for for past experience. Milan Lucic maybe comes to mind in that regard. Uh, But then again, that was was a trade. Didn't they trade James Neal for him? Is that one for one? They sure did. Yeah. And there was the condition in that trade where if one player outscored the other by a significant margin, there would have Mm -hmm. to be an an addition of a pick. I think I think a third round pick. It wasn't it wasn't even an insignificant one. But yeah, I'm just looking at Calgary's roster right now, and you know your star players are Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk up front on the blue line. It's your Mark Giordano pairing, and then you're going to have the Noah Hannafin pairing. 
I think it's a good team. I don't think it's a great team. And I think no. that's a problem that a lot of NHL teams have is how do we get from where we are right now to where we want to be? And with Calgary, it almost seems like you're taking a step back some nights as opposed to being where you want to be. I don't think that means you trade Johnny Gaudreau, which is what they looked like they were going to do last season. But maybe that's what ends up happening at some point here because it sounds like management and ownership. It sounds like there's a bit of a divide there in terms of should we keep this player? Is he our franchise core guy? Or should we look at maybe offloading him and seeing if we can get some kind of value elsewhere? I don't know. I'm not sure if you're going to do much better than Johnny Gaudreau for $6.75 million. That's one of the best mm. contracts in the league. But I don't know. What do you do if you're running Calgary right now? How do, you, how do you make that a better team? One thing I look at, and it's kind of you know been interesting ever since he was his contract, I guess, was, was converted or extended. Is Jeff Ward the guy? Like, I never really... I don't know because he came, he did it. Look, there is value to coming in and steadying the ship after the abject chaos that happened in the wake of, of the Bill Peters um, outing, I guess, you know, at justifiably. So he's a piece of garbage and I'm glad he's never going to touch at least the NHL again. Um, But it just seemed like with the carousel that was going on in the off season, there might've been a bigger name out there. Like how much better would a would this Calgary flames team be even currently constructed right now? With, you know, Bruce Boudreaux behind the bench, with Gerard Gallant behind the bench, either of those guys still there. And with yet Mike Babcock behind the bench, West <sighs> Coast guy. I can't wait to see who's the ho- hardest working and least hardest working Calgary Flames out there, because I feel like uh, I feel like we're going to find out it's going to be leaked somehow. But and, you know, t- to the to the University of Saskatchewan's credit, great job putting him in, in charge of 19 to 22 year olds. It worked so well last time. Um yeah, just incredible. But Jeff, like, it just seemed like a safe and really, it, like, maybe cost-prohibitive pick. Like, obviously, he's not going to command the salary of a Boudreaux or a Gallant. So maybe they're like, ah, this guy, you know, he steadied the ship. He's a company man. He, you know, he doesn't pull home the big bucks. Ah, let's just stick with old G Dog. It just doesn't seem to be working. At the same time, how often do we complain in this sport that we're just retreading the same old names? No, absolutely. General managers, coaches, the only way that you can work in this league is if you've worked there before and we want to see absolutely. new blood. We don't see new ideas. We want to see a Bruce Cassidy, a John Cooper, you know, the, the next young college coach or AHL coach or maybe overseas from Europe who has some new modern ideas to bring to the sport. So... I don't want to criticize them for going, uh, you know, maybe in an unconventional way with uh, with Jeff Ward, but it doesn't seem to be working right now. And I hear you there. If there are better coaches available, would Gerard Gallant improve this team's chances of winning a playoff round this year? I think he would. I think a lot of coaches would over Jeff Ward. So maybe that's the the avenue to, to success in the future. But yeah, I'm just I'm looking at Calgary right now and they don't seem to me to be like a legitimate threat in the Canadian division. If we're looking at the top teams, we had to rank them right now. I think most people a week or two ago would have had Leafs Habs definitively as one two. Now I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure where to put the Habs based on their last no uh, stretch clue. of play. But mo- Toronto's at the top of the division as of right now even though I think there's some regression coming considering they they're de- they're, they're 50% shot share at 5 on 5. So I don't think they're as good as their record indicates. But the other teams in that Calgary neighborhood, Winnipeg, Edmonton, mm-hmm. uh, what do we think of them relative to Calgary right now? I would take Winnipeg definitely over Calgary at this point. I mean, you bring in a talent like Pierre-Luc Dubois, although they're playing him on the wing to kind of ease him in, whatever, give him first line minutes. Our good friend uh, Brad is not going to be happy about that. I'm sure Patrick Lane is not jealous at all. No, not at all. You know, he's he'll just he'll just take his frustration out and mouthing off to an assistant coach like two days after he gets to Columbus. That's a smart move for your career. Um 
but no, it's I would def I would take Winnipeg over that. But other than that, a lot of those teams are kind of just mired in the in this weird middle ground. Like the Canucks suck at this point, but I can see like but I can then at the same time like foresee them going on a crazy hot run and like earning a you know a last second playoff spot. The Oilers they you know they they can they can win any time they want with McDavid and Drysaddle if they're firing on all cylinders. It just like. They they are a two person team at this point, but you can't trust that for an entire season. Like the Leafs are the only team where, and this is going to be crazy to say, but the Leafs are the only team that at least I trust in that division. And I don't even really trust the Leafs, obviously, because they bl- just blew a five one lead to Ottawa. But it, it, they're really, I think you can only really define that division by who the best team is and who the worst team is. Then everyone else is just kind of lumped in the middle. The best team is obviously the Leafs. The worst team is obviously Ottawa. And the rest are just kind of fighting to be, you know, the the best middle child. They're all Malcolm in the middle. Yeah, and Vancouver, I think, definitely the lowest among those teams. Yes. They're almost in the Ottawa tier, but because of the star talent, because of Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes, yes. you're thinking, this can't be what you actually are as a team, right? At some point, the star players are going to drive results and you're going to win more games, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, I can foresee them just, like, by sheer luck or, a, you know, a shooting a shooting heater. Because you, when you have Hughes and, and, and Pedersen and even a guy like Besser and Horvat, like, they have good top-end players. It's just all of their depth players make, like, $3 million each and are just haven't been good since 2015. Really could have used that cap space on a Tyler Toffoli. Really wish you you had a couple extra million bucks in the in the between the cushions. It's it's just too bad you spent it on a fourth line player in Jay Beagle, <laughs> or just like anyone else. Like you could have just you could have used that money for few, you know for the fact that you're going to have to re-sign um, Pedersen. Hughes has no leverage, so they might be able to squeeze him on a bridge. But like Hoglander is going to come up eventually. They have to re-sign Demko and and going to have to make that like they are in disarray. But so when you look at the North Division, like I would say Calgary is. I mean, they're definitely not the like they're definitely not the the worst team when it comes to you know actual position in the standings and also like dire straits of where to go. But they're in that dreaded middle ground of like we're not good enough to tank, we're not bad enough to tank, but we're not good enough to push for a cup right now. And so, are we just going to be you know ninth place for you know the next five years until this core ages out or signs somewhere else? And that's the most depressing place to be in sports, I think, because there's no hope there. It's just apathy. Yeah, I remember being a Leafs fan in high school. This was from 06 to 2010, and it was just, it was depressing because I knew the team was going to come in ninth place. I knew that they were Mm going to be good enough to not get a top five pick, but also bad enough to never be a real contender. That's the worst place to be in pro sports. Oh, it's... It's just like begging, you know, it's it's hoping they can hit on the 16th or 17th overall pick, and they're just never going to do that. Have you ever seen the sadness scale that Micah Blake McCurdy puts out on uh, his website, HockeyViz.com? And it's basically, no. what are your chances of finishing this season outside the playoffs and without a top five pick? And <laughs> every mm-hmm. year it's just like, man, the teams that are high on that ranking, it's just it's not a fun year to be a, a sports fan. Any team who doesn't have their first round pick and is bad, like San Jose last year. Or, oh, man. <laughs> it's just not where you want to be. Also, that just came like the San Jose r- regression last year just came crump. Like I've never I, I've maybe with Ottawa when. You know, the first year when they just collapsed, when they still had Duchesne and still had these guys. Like, there were a lot of signs with that team. If you looked at 5 on 5, they got outscored. They had a negative goal differential going into the playoffs that year. San Jose was first in the league or top three in the league in like chances, uh, shots, expected goals. All the indicators said that this team was awesome. And then the next year, they sucked. 
And it's not just losing Joel Pavelski. It's not just one player that was going to cause all that. So I've, that, that's a case study for me that I still look at and I go, what the hell mm-hmm. happened here? I would. I think that's a great look. If you're looking for articles to write, like that's a great like. Just you know, spend a week hold away in your basement, just crunching the numbers with you know your spreadsheets, you fucking nerd. And then you can, <laughs> and then you can, just be like, what happened here, and get to the bottom of it. See, I could do that, or I could just spend my free time making TikToks. You know, whatever works. Yeah, exactly. Like like the cool kids do. Come on. That's what I hear they're all doing these days. I don't know. Exactly. You know, tell me, Ian, what's a video that lives in your head rent free? Tell me, tell me you live in Toronto without actually telling me you live in Toronto. You know, those are the trends that are going on right now. Yeah, here's, here's my balcony in the CN Tower right behind me. Yeah, I'm cool. My name is Mikey Stevens. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I... <laughs> it's going off the rails here. Speaking of, uh, speaking of cities that, that uh, don't suck, um, or spe- I guess we're speaking of cities that don't suck. Now we're going to speak about a city that does suck in Buffalo. Um, Jeff Skinner, he's benched. He's, he's skating with the scratches. This guy has, what is it, seven years left, six or six years left on a deal that pays him nine million dollars. And this guy, he's got one point in 14 games to start this season. This is a deal that went downhill essentially from the moment it was signed. And there is no way for them to get out of this. Like, it seems like they are handcuffed. And this could be this with the amount with the length and the amount of money that's left on this deal. Contrast with the point production like this is a franchise handcuffing deal. How do they get out of this? I guess you're basically waiting for the next lockout when you get a free, uh, one of those get out of jail free cards. The uh, Like an amnesty? Exactly. An amnesty buyout? I think that's or? the only way. I mean, at this point, what do you do? I mean, you, you can't, if you buy them out, I think that almost hurts you more than it helps compliance you. Compliance buyout. Yeah. No, I mean, no, but if you just buy them out without the free yeah. compliance buyout, if you try to buy them out right now, I don't know how much that really helps you. Because I know we all... We all go through this on uh, Cap Friendly, where we're thinking, okay, this is a contract I hate. How do I get rid of it? And the first thing we do is we trade it away to a team that we hate. And then when we realize that's not going to work, we go, okay, well, how much is the actual buyout penalty? And, oh, that gives us a bit of free cap space this year. That's awesome. But then it hurts you in year two, three, four, and five. Uh, I know Mm -hmm. the Leafs are still, uh, (laughs) it's funny, you look at a team's cap friendly page and they'll be like, wait, we're still paying for that contract from years ago? We're still paying for Phil Kessel? Yeah, I remember there there was I'm like, Tim Gleason, wasn't he on the team like four or five years ago and they were still paying for him because they bought him out? You bet your sweet ass he was. Michael Lyles for Tim Gleason. And every team right now, if if you're a fan of a different team, you're thinking of that one contract that you hated that they bought out and it hurt your team for years to come. The only time buying out a player works is if you are in a legitimate cup window that season and the cap space that specific season is extremely important to you. As good as Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel have been this year, and they've been fantastic, if you look at the on-ice five-on-five results, they're among the leaders in the league. That's one of the best lines in hockey. But the rest of Buffalo still sucks. You look at their defense. I mean, I like Rasmus Dahlin. I think he's going to be a better player in a few years. I don't know if he's... You know, what we all expected him to be when he was first drafted, but I still think there's a lot of potential there. But you look at the holes on this lineup. The defense isn't great. The forward depth outside of Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel isn't great. I don't like their goaltending. I don't like a lot. I, I, I don't, I, there's just anything. I, what do you, you don't like, like anything other what do you than like that. About, that's why Jack Eichel wants out. So I don't know. I, I'm looking at this team and I'm just thinking, this is sad. I almost don't want to talk about them anymore because after they trade Taylor Hall... <laughs> This offseason, Jack Eichel's going to demand a trade, and then what are you left with? You're left with the Jeff Skinner contract. It's it's always been sad living in Buffalo, but it's even sadder now. Look, at least they have the Bills. Like The Bills are a lot of fun to watch. They're a lot of fun to, to cheer for. I can't wait until we can go to Bills games again and get absolutely obliterated, but it's just, man, they have 
they have run that hockey team into the ground. That is a terribly managed hockey team, just from top to bottom. And then bringing in company man, Kevin Adams, to kind of steer the ship. Like, that is... Man, I, 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 like you said, it just makes me sad to talk about. But we had to bring that up. Now, that was the longest headline. Wait, hold one second. You get a magic oh, wand. Yeah. You get a magic wand. Yeah. And okay. You get okay. To undo, you get to undo one thing that Buffalo's ever done in the last, let's say, five years. Would oh it be my the God. Jeff Skinner contract, the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Uh, would you, instead of drafting Darlene first overall, would you maybe draft someone else? What would be the one decision that you'd go back in time and undo? Holy shit, that is a good question, Ian. I For me, it's the O'Reilly trade. When it happened, yeah. I just thought... I, I know that he wanted out, and I know that it wasn't a great situation for him at the time, but the return... At the time, I'm like, this is a bunch of third liners for a guy who, for my money, is a top 10 center in the NHL. And at the time, people were saying, oh, no, the point production was crap this year. And then you look at his line mates. He wasn't playing with anyone. Turns out when you play him with Vlad Tarasenko, he'll put up a point per game. So with these defensive elite players like a Sean Couturier before he gets moved up into the top line or Ryan Mm O'Reilly before you give him good line mates, just remember that elite defensive players, they can control the puck. And if you can get the talented offensive players who can play with them, then the puck will be in the offensive end where the good players can do stuff with it. Ryan O'Reilly, I think we forgot about that before the trade. And then after, when he was playing in St. Louis, we remembered, oh yeah, this guy's really good at hockey. Uh, Buffalo fans were convinced Casey Middlestat was going to take his spot and there wasn't going to... Oh yeah. There was not going to be a drop-off whatsoever at 5-on-5 play from Ryan O'Reilly to a guy who couldn't produce at 5-on-5 at college. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fair, fair assessment to make. It's just not like it's not even it's not even it really is death. And I don't even want to say death by paper cuts. It is death by like like cuts that make you bleed, but like enough of them that have kind of bled them out. Like because these are not insignificant kind of missteps here, but like none of their top prospects have panned out. Like if you look at that, like the guys who are supposed to be the next wave, none of them worked out. Darlene's behind, I think, in what we expect from him. He's being effective, but he's not. You know, the franchise changing guy, even if you want to consider him way back then, because he's only 26 now, Ristolainen has not worked out at all. You know, uh, uh, Middlestad has been an abject disaster. Tage Thompson's not doing anything, and he was someone who they acquired with a lot of, you know, uh, uh, pomp and circumstance. It's just been terrible. I don't know, because look, re- rewinding the, or I guess like waving away the O'Reilly contract, there is a ripple effect on hockey history that that does, because the Blues don't win the cup if he's not there. And then what, like, what does that... Does Casey like, Middlestat uh, get one more year in college to actually develop properly? Maybe, exactly. So, but at the same, I think it, I really do think it has to be the Skinner contract because look like O'Reilly wanted out. He was gone no matter what. He literally said playing for the Buffalo Sabres that season made him f- lose his love of the game. So that's terrible. Well, living in and Buffalo that, will do that to you. Exactly. The Joffrey, the famous Joffrey Lupul quote, are there any windowless rooms um, is fantastic. Uh, but this is, I would have to say Jeff Skinner contract because think about where that, then again, like would they even allocate that money smartly if they didn't sign, like if they were given 9 million per year to just like throw around? No, they probably, they probably trade for Jay Beagle or something like it's we'll sign Tyler Myers and free agency, something like that. Exactly. So it just doesn't make sense. All right. That was the longest headlines we've ever done, but it also kind of was a deep dive there. We're going to hop into plot points. I love that. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like me 
the resources that were once reserved for big business, and it's customized to your needs. You get a great looking online store that really helps bring your ideas to life and tools to manage the day-to-day and drive sales. And I'm speaking about this from experience. I'm really passionate about bass fishing. And a little over five years ago, I started an e-commerce bass fishing brand with my best friend, Aaron, called Woo Tungsten. Actually, it's pronounced Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark, because that's the sound you make when you catch a giant bass. And it was a no-brainer to do this on Shopify because they've made it so easy every step of the way, from creating product listings, to making discount codes, to managing shipments. In fact, if you want to see what an e-commerce store looks like on Shopify, go to wootungsten.com and you can see. And it's no wonder that every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. You can get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. And you can gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial, and you'll get access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today, just like me, just like Woo Tungsten, by going to shopify.com slash bluewire right now. That's shopify.com slash bluewire. Now, trending down is obviously, you know, what's it, it, plot points is what's trending up, what's trending down, just, you know, for having any, if you've, if Ian has brought any first time listeners in here, trending down is Rachel's appearance on the podcast. Uh, she's just... She's on the IR this week, so not COVID related. So she's on the IR this week. She's gonna be she's gonna be coming back hopefully next week, I think. But until then, I'm stuck with uh, with this pigeon over here. Yeah, AHL um, call up right here. Damn, just terrible. Trying to earn Trending my roster up, spot. You get. I think you can do it. All you got to do is just uh, be better than Jimmy VC. We're gonna get to that too. Um, Trending up is the stupidity of the New Jersey Devils, which is a theme on this podcast. But man, this is a team with that had 19 players on the COVID list like two weeks ago. And decide to announce today that they will, they will be allowed 10% indoor capacity at sporting events starting March 1st. Listen, I know the U.S. vaccinations are rolling out much better than they are in Canada. But, dude, your entire roster had this thing like two weeks ago. You know, this is, this is, a, this is a disease that has taken Marco Rossi out. He's 19. He's taken him out for the entire season. Rasmus was reliant and was wondering, was literally being like, if I go to sleep tonight, will I, will I wake up even tomorrow? This is a serious thing. And now you're going to bring fans back in. It just doesn't seem right to me. What do you think about this? Yeah. And especially when you look at uh, the U.S. right now, compared to Canada, let's talk about how many games have been postponed in the yes. U.S. compared to Canada. So I, I look at this North division and I say, okay, I think we're more or less doing things right here. But Again, it's easier for a Canadian division with, I guess, the COVID numbers in specific cities are lower than it would be in the U.S. Again, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not as... You're not? Yeah. No, believe it or not, I'm not well-versed in all this, but I try to listen to the smartest people. I try to listen to the CDC. I try to listen to the World Health Organization, and from there, listen to people's recommendations and say, okay, what should we be doing? This doesn't sound like a great idea to me. No. So... 
I, I can honestly stop there just because I'm not sure what else to say in, in some of these divisions. It's pretty on brand. Yeah. What, I mean, you're going to have postponed games and you're going to have issues mm-hmm. in a COVID season. We saw it in the NFL. We saw it in the NBA. There's an NFL game where I think the Denver Broncos didn't have a quarterback. Because oh, yeah. They, they played Kendall Hinton, practice squad wide receiver. It, remarkable. It reminded me of a Tim Tebow game. Exactly. As well, trending up is Gary Bettman's rivalry with the Sun. Now, the Lake Tahoe games look picturesque, beautiful, gorgeous, like a postcard. It looked like a drop-in EASHL game. You know, at the resort that we always play at in the playoffs, like, you know, it looked incredible. Except there was backtracking. Exactly. Uh, You know, because you weren't on the ice there. Um, And also, the amount of penalties were just taken way down because I wasn't there, you know, pressing L2 the whole time. Mikey wasn't there to go offside on a three-on-one. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, if I'd gotten the puck, if I'd gotten the puck Maybe if sooner, you pass it to me, I was open, guys. Shut the fuck up, Ian. All right. <laughs> so picturesque, beautiful. And then the sun took that personally. And it just rained havoc. And by rained, I mean sun rays rained down. And so this, so, and thus created the longest penalty of Mark Stone's career. After eight hours and 24 minutes, he finally exited the box after taking a penalty at the end of, the fr- of I believe, was it, it, they delayed the first period, right? So it after, was, I think or, they, uh, sorry. Did they get through the end of the first period and then they waited yes. nine hours and then played the second and third? Yeah. So after the, so he took a penalty near the, the end of the first period and after eight hours and 24 minutes, he emerged from the penalty box, f- a free man. Remarkable. The fun thing to do here is to rip on the NHL because we always rip on the NHL. It's the easiest league to rip on because. But I can't bring myself to do it this and time. And I can't either. And I'm like, is it, yeah. is it becoming the popular take to take Gary Bettman's side here? And uh, apparently he's won a lot of goodwill with everyone. I don't know. But you saw the pictures from Lake Tahoe. And how many people did you message when you saw that game who maybe you normally wouldn't have messaged about mm-hmm. a hockey game? You know, I'm, I'm showing my mom on a text thread. I'm showing my brother. I'm being like, hey. Check out this hockey game. They're playing outdoors. This is kind of cool. And I think that's the idea is you wanted to bring in some new fans by trying something new. Did it work? No. No. <laughs> they didn't maybe? market it at all. Like, that's the thing that boggled my mind. It's like, you want to bring in these new fans. Great. They, they didn't market it at all. You didn't know it was happening until the day it happened. But when it did, and when it did, like I texted two people about it. I never would do that for a Vegas, Colorado game. No way. But it worked. I thought the idea was great. And how often do yes. we say that with the NHL? Where, man, you have a new progressive idea and you tried something new and it, it didn't quite work out. Normally with the NHL is, okay, we're just going to stick with what we've done in the past or we're going to make one minor tweak that doesn't matter at all. It this, actually enrages people more. And this, for, the first, it, for a while, it was really cool. I guess in the future, mm-hmm. you might need to take the sun rays into account a bit better. But again, I love the idea of it. That's what I don't get, like... Look, I really don't want to crap on the NHL here. I think they they capitalized on the moment perfectly because they realized we don't have any fans. We obviously can't have any fans here. So let's like let's put it in a in a beautiful place. You know, take advantage of the fact that we that we don't have to account for seating so we can make it as picturesque as possible. And it it looked incredible. At the same time, like how could they not account for the sun? Like the sun <laughs> is it's the sun, you know, like it's, it's, it's going to be there. You know, it rises in the East. It sets in the West. It, you know, that it, everyone kind of knows the way the sun works. How could they not have, have foreseen that? Oh, it, the forecast says it's going to be sunny, 
Maybe we should have some contingency plans for, you know, the sun. Like, I don't know, big, like giant things that you use for shade, maybe, but then you're ruining the aesthetic of the. Uh, so, I don't know. I'm not an ice management person. Push it I, back I to like seven? Like, I don't know. Don't put it in the afternoon, maybe? Like, I think do... the whole idea, though, was the scenic shot with the sun there, right? That's what made it look cool. But if it doesn't work, then you're stuck with a nine hour intermission. So, like, it's just. You know, I, I think you, you got to make some concessions. It's a great idea, I think. In, in, it's like communism. Great, you know, <laughs> great in, in uh, great on paper, you know, t- difficult to execute on, uh, you know, in practice. You saying Gary Bettman doesn't want to seize the means of production here? Yeah, I also just watched Chernobyl again, and, and it's maybe so it's, it's just, it's, very good. it's incre- I, I it, it is incredible. It a few weeks ago. It's very good. That's good. That's the thing that I, 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 I at least can appreciate here with with Rachel gone is that you watch movies so and TV shows so you can understand references. Well, um, I think I watched like the Red Army, like I watched a documentary on Russian yeah. hockey players, and then it made me want to watch Chernobyl again. So I went back and watched Chernobyl. Exactly. All right, we're gonna hop into our deep dive, which is Leafs talk, baby. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, fellas, we are in the thick of winter and a storm's a brewing. It looks like one to three inches are in the forecast whenever you trim the hibernation beard taking place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. Now, Manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, as always. The Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of their ceramic blade advanced skin safe technology, your snags on your snowballs will be reduced. The trimmer is also waterproof so you can trim in the shower or the jacuzzi even if you're a savage. I mean, I'm not cool enough to play like that, but if you are, fantastic. The Performance Package, though, is the newest and best buy of 2021. The Performance Package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 and the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag. You ever notice how nasty ear and nose hair is? In fact, 79% of partners polled admitted that their long nose hair is a major turnoff. You might as well use the best tools for the job. Now, this bundle also comes with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. The Crop Preserver is anti-chafing ball deodorant that will make your ball smell nice and make you feel like your testes are walking in a winter wonderland. And the Crop Reliever is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will make your balls look up at you and say thanks. Don't get cold feet this winter. Get 20% off plus free shipping with your code staffgraph at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping with the code staffgraph at manscaped.com. Don't wait out. Do it. All right. Rachel's gone. We can just be complete homers at this point. We're going to talk some Leafs. We're already at, you know, 42 minutes, so we'll try and make it somewhat brief, but you know what? I don't care. We're, we're going to go for a bit of an hour. We can't talk leaves without opening with Austin Matthews. The guy's a, an absolute, the guy's a monster. I've never seen a scoring torrid pace like this. It's, it's, it, you know, it, it's crazy. Every time you look up at the TV, the guy's friggin' putting the puck in the net. He's the heart front runner, right? You have him ahead of McDavid? I think, you know what? Edmonton is so bad that because the, because the heart is the most valuable to his team. And this is the same debate we have every freaking year. But I think if you take Matthews off the Leafs, they have a better chance of winning a game against, you know, let's, let's put them against the same opponent, the Leafs and, and the Oilers. I think if you take Matthews out of the equation, the Leafs have a better chance of winning that game than the Oilers without McDavid. 
Yeah, that's fair. And I know in Dom's model, you know, he tries to measure this properly. He's like, how many wins does yeah. this player add? If we were to remove this player from the lineup, how much does that hurt your chances of winning versus if we threw you into the lineup, how much does that improve your player team's chances of winning? Mm-hmm. And I know in his opinion, it's, well, whichever player has the most value, improves their team's chances of winning the most. That's the best player. You vote for that player. I think a lot of people would agree that Connor McDavid's the best player in hockey. Absolutely. But, but the season that Austin Matthews having, I guess, is your argument. And right now, 18 goals in 18 games and elite defensive numbers, which if you look at any of the sport logic stuff, if you're watching a Leafs broadcast, they do it a lot where they'll mm-hmm. bring up some cool sport logic stuff. And it's like stuff like first in puck battle wins, first in, you know, uh, stick checks, takeaways, things that do matter. It's defense is mm-hmm. one of those things that's really tough to quantify. We try to like do what it is with, defense. We, we do it with shots against, scoring chances against, expected goals against when a player's on the ice versus when he's off the ice. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's very like specific individual factors that you can look for, and we've seen them all with Austin Matthews this year. I was looking up uh, players who have won the Rocket Richard Trophy in the past. Oh, no, no, that's not what I was looking up. Sorry, I lied. I was looking up players who won <laughs> the Selkie Trophy in the past, and how you many lied to me. Well, the, the reason I bring it up is because Matthews has a legitimate chance to be the Rocket Richard winner and finish, mm. what, top three, top five in Selkie voting? I'm not going to give it to him because I don't think he's the best defensive player in the NHL. But, I but think he's, he, he's getting there. He's getting closer. He's way closer than he was a year or two ago. This is the best he's ever played defensively. When was the last time a guy who won the Selkie trophy had 40 or 50 goals in a season? I was looking it like up. Doug Gilmore? Ryan Kessler had a 41-goal season that we all forgot about on the Vancouver Canucks when he won the Selkie. And then you have to go all the way back to Sergei Fedorov in the 90s. So that's the kind of season we're talking about with Austin Matthews here. He's at scoring at an elite level and playing defense at an elite level. It's very difficult to do both those things. Usually you're either an elite defensive player who can get a lot of assists, but to get goals, you do usually need to be higher up in the play. You need to be taking more chances offensively, and that comes at the expense of giving up a lot defensively. Matthews is finding a way to score at a goal per game rate right now while playing elite defense. He's not going to keep shooting whatever it is right now, 22 23%. We all know that that's going to fall down a little bit, but Steven Stamkos in his career year as a goal scorer, he, he shot 20%, or 19.8, so I'll round up, 20%. Mm-hmm. Can Matthews shoot 20% in a career year? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. He's a In 56 per- games. Is this, and yeah, exactly. Small sample, 56 games, and he's a 16% career shooter who mm-hmm. shoots at a high volume. He's kind of like a Stamkos in terms of there haven't been players in the past who have shot at a high volume and shot at a ridiculously high percentage. Matthews is one of the only guys who's ever done that. And he's also doing it with strong defensive numbers. So I guess that's your case. If you're making a case for Matthews in the heart, it's not just the offense. It's that he's providing value on defense as well, which I know was a big knock on McDavid and Drysaddle last year. Yeah, I mean, McDavid is, for for the fact that he's the best, he, I'd say he's the best player in the league. He's obviously the best offensive player in the league. But his defensive game, is it's not just, you know, it's not just below average, it's bad. Like, he's bad defensively. So it's... The numbers show that it's been better this year. But again, let's oh, wait for good. a larger sample. And it's mm-hmm. hard because when you're playing with the same guys every shift, sometimes that can... It makes it more difficult for a regression model to recognize who's impacting the play. But that's that's nerdy stuff that people usually aren't too interested in. It's also tough because because of the shortened season that sample sizes that normally we'd have to classify as being small. Like when the when the Habs were, you know... Out, jumping out to their incredible lead and there was it was like 12 games in we were all like everyone was saying you know oh they like this is a foregone conclusion they're the best team in the league and then and then my re- rebuttal that would be like well it's 12 games like let's relax but then you think oh that's like 10 percent of the season like if not more like it's 
going to say, know, what gotta, kind of math is that? Since when is 12, no, 10% was, of 56? Ian, on, I, I'm, I'm, I'm spitballing here. I'm, it's a rough number. But like, so, so we kind of have to take that in, it's into account. Closer to 20%, but, man. Tisk tisk. You know what? <laughs> I dropped math after grade 11. I'm not paid for my mathematical opinions here. They never told us I, we'd have to do school here. I thought we heard to talk exactly. sports. I, you know, <laughs> I play hockey, not school. All right. Um, yeah, I think, you know what? I think he's, he's got a shot. Like if he keeps scoring, maybe not if he keeps scoring at this pace. Like I think if he keeps scoring at this pace, it's borderline impossible. And also he will, you know, set a record of some sort when it comes to goals, goals per game in the salary cap era. But, you know, keeping kind of scoring, like if he, if he reaches 50 and 56, there's no way you can't, you can't give him the heart. Like there's no way you can't give a guy who scores 50 goals, 56 games, the heart. He's, 100% the most valuable player to his team just by the fact that he did that. What if McDavid puts up 100 points in 56 games? Oh, see, that's the that's that's the Sophie's choice it. there. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Oh, he absolutely could do that. He could do and I think the like I think if Matthews keeps scoring, the likelihood of McDavid doing that increases just because he seems They're naturally competitive guys. They both want to win the heart. They both they both train together in the offseason. Like it's I, I Did think they? I didn't see any talk about no, that whatsoever. not at all. No, no one tweeted about no, it. No really cringy Oilers memes were made from that at all. Um, and as as you know, you know we we like to be competitive. You know, it's just a you know a natural human being thing, guys and girls. And so I think you know there's probably some friendly competition there. But it's 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 going to be really interesting to track now. And unfortunately, there's so when people listen to this, the game will have already happened because this is coming out tomorrow. But on, we're recording this on Monday. There are some injuries that were announced, some pretty you know significant ones uh, when it comes to Leafs. They're really going to have to be plumbing their their depth um, for this game. Jake Muzzin, he's out with a broken face. I mean, bruh, you would think you would think his beard would cushion that a little bit, but can't rely on it. Be terrible. Uh, so he's gonna when he does come back, he'll have a full face shield, and we don't know when that's going to happen. Um, we also have Zach Hyman. He's day to day. And Joe Thornton is also day-to-day. He likely won't be playing tonight. It, Thornton, you can kind of withstand, I think, on, in that regard. They've proven they can withstand it. But also, like, he's an older guy. He's probably going to get some rest days. But Muzzin and Hyman, they're really important, and which kind of means that there are, you know, this glut of depth players that the Leafs have. These, you know, the the Patans, the Barabanovs, you know, VCs creeping in there. But guys like that who are just kind of waiting in the wings, waiting to get in there, they're going to get their shot. Who do you think is going to be the one to step up, at least up on the forward end? Because we know Dermot's going to be elevated into the top six, and we'll get to him in a second. Your boy. I thought you were teeing me up. I thought no, you were just I'm te- like, I'm, lobbing me one there. I'm giving you, I'm giving you Dermot next, but we got to get through the forwards first. So who do you, like? Are you first of all? Are you excited to see some of these new guys? And also, like, who do you think is going to be the one that steps up and impresses? I'm not excited to watch more Alex Barabanov. Really? You haven't been a fan of Barabanov? Not. What's his shot share right now? It's like under 40%. He's not an NHL player. I don't see it. Really? Uh, But, okay, you're looking at the Leafs. How do they win games? They're going to have a Matthews Marner line. They're going to have a Tavares Nylander line. And they're going to throw a bunch of guys making nothing beside them. Because now, clearly, Hyman and Thornton, the two guys that you had in the top six, going to miss some time. I don't know how much time. Honestly, I'm not that worried. Because I know long-term, when you're heading into the playoffs, you're going to have Hyman in the top six. I don't know if Thornton is going to be on that top line with Matthews Marner, but the combination of those three it's players... It's working real been, well, man. 
it's been awesome this year. It's been working really well. I try to talk people into it because they're saying, no, you can't have Thornton. He's 41. You can't play him on your top line in a playoff game. And I'm thinking, man, if he's passing the puck to Matthews Marner or Riley Brody, who they tend to play him with, I'm thinking it's been working. Maybe it keeps working. I definitely think you can have him on the top line in a playoff game. You brought up Jake Muzzin. Yeah. Can, can I bring up a quick uh, trend that I've noticed lately? Uh, Absolutely. With the Leafs defense. They started the season with Riley Brody getting the top competition, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. Didn't work at all, and they had to switch it after about, I want to say, seven or eight games. They've been going pretty steadily with Muzzin Hall in those top minutes. And now, obviously, when you really bump up the competition for a pairing, their numbers have dipped a little bit. The real concerning trend for me is the fact that Riley's still getting outshot at 5-on-5. Five five. This has been a problem for me for the last few years. It's just the idea that a defenseman who puts up a lot of points is valuable, but then if you look at that defenseman, and at 5-on-5, five five, they're getting outshot and outchanced. I ask myself, well, what are they doing to impact the outcome of the game? Because something's going wrong here. And then you watch Morgan Riley closely, and you see him activate into the play every single time, which, by the way, I've been screaming for a defenseman to activate into the play and for the forward to cover them. I want more positionless, you know, total hockey. I feel like that's the way of the game in the modern era. But with Morgan Riley, I think there are times where he makes uh, pinches unnecessarily. He'll jump up into the play when he doesn't have support. He'll read that TJ Brody's jumped up into the play and think, okay, now's an excellent time for me to pinch. And I'm thinking, no, that's going to be an odd man rush the other way. Uh, even when he's just defending a basic two-on-two and he, and he gives the oppos- uh, opposing forward way too much space in neutral zone defense and they get a free entry, a free p- pass across the middle of the ice. We blamed Cody Ceci last year. We blamed Rom Hainsey before. We've blamed Nikita mm-hmm. Zaitsev before. We've blamed Roman Polak. At what point do we blame Morgan Riley for the poor results that he's putting up at five and five? Because I think it's time. We haven't seen a good Morgan Riley in like over a calendar year. Like he has, I think he was playing. Look, obviously he that the season where he put up like seventy two points. I think defensively he was better than kind of advertised, and seventy two points is something that. You know, that just doesn't happen for a defenseman like that. That's that's a notable that's notable enough production where you can go, OK, like this is the this is a defenseman that I mean, look, he might have his warts defensively, but this is 72 extra points that we're adding to, you know, our collective total at the end of the season. Like he's like he also that, tripled his career shooting percentage that year. Oh, I mean, I mean that yeah. was never going to last. I, look, I think he's a good defenseman. He plays the way that you want, but we have he, he? there's there's something wrong. There's something wrong with him. Like I haven't seen. He just he and this is the eye test version of me. He looks off like he doesn't look like Morgan Riley. He doesn't look I'm confident. If he's banged up. I'm wondering if there's a little injury there that might be affecting things. But then again, I, I don't want to just excuse poor play. Like, but oh, he's been he's banged, banged up, up for a year. Like he like, you know, he had all those injuries that, that hampered his play in 1920. And we go, OK, so we can kind of write that off. But now he has a legitimate, you know, a legitimate defense partner for the first time, potentially in his entire career. Like, he has T.J. Brody, who I think has been fantastic. I think he's done everything that the Leafs have needed him to do. So you can't blame Morgan. You can't blame How many times has T.J. Brody been forced to do, you know that two-on-one slide where you have to lay your body out and take away the pass? He's done that a bunch of times this year, and it's cool. It's a very important trait for you to have. He looks good. When you're playing with Morgan Riley, you need to be able to do that, and... I think he's had to do it a, a bit too often this year. I'm thinking, can we not allow so many two-on-ones when Morgan Riley's on the ice? I, I get that you take risks to, to generate offense, and there's going to be some bad things that come the other way, but I don't know if the pros are outweighing the cons at this point. No, TJ Brody has defended like three two-on-ones at least, like every game this year. Like He, he is constantly like sc- you know screaming back. To get to get in position, you know, with, with, with their, like it, it's it's been crazy. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I they're just it seems I, again this is an eye test thing. This is a you know a, a sort of perception thing. He just looks off. And yes, if there's an injury, okay. But he's being he that was what the excuse was last year. What when are we going to start seeing the Morgan Riley that we saw before the confident you know the confident offensive player? It, like defensively. I don't really think I think that's kind of he is what he is at this point. We kind of got to take that into account. And at his current cap hit, that's fine. I honestly think that's fine. But I don't know, man. I, I can they win with a with a guy in their top four like Morgan Riley? I, I remember uh, I, was, I was trying to write this point elegantly in a, in a way that made sense mm-hmm. using the information, but also not trying to bury the guy. But I was just saying that look, the Leafs' minutes leader right now is getting outshot at five on five. If you want to be a contender. Your minutes leader can't be getting outshot at five on five. That's just not something that should be happening. They've finally given him support that he needs. They've given him that defense partner that he's lacked for so long. They've given him the guy that, you know, they're, they're not saddling him with Nikita Zaitsev, with Roman Polak, you know, with Matt Hunwick on his wrong side. Exactly. Ron Hainsey on his wrong side. Cody Ceci in, a, you know, the reclamation project that he needed to be. Or even, a, even Tyson Berry, who's basically a worse Morgan Riley. Like it's. Martin goddamn Marincin, baby. <laughs> that was a top that was the Leafs top pair for a fleeting second in the tank here. That oh my goodness. Their on ice results were way better than you think, but uh, I bet they were. That's neither I here s- nor there. I still don't care. I still never want to see them again. Um no, it's it at what point do we kind of have to put the onus on the player? Like I I I, I love Moreau. I think he's a great leader. I think, you know, if it wasn't if John Tavares didn't get the C, I probably would have slapped it on him. I think he's been here through the highs and lows and he works hard. He clearly wants to be a leaf. He clearly takes pride in being a leaf. But beyond ice production right now, at least when it comes defensively, it's it's not it's it's not suitable for like you said, their top minute muncher. And now the circumstances have changed to the point where it's helping him. Before the Raptors won a championship, they traded away DeMar DeRozan, oh, no, who was a franchise guy, Oof. elite point producer, whose overall elite. impact on the game was okay. less than you would expect for a player of that caliber. Nomar Garciaparra was traded by the Boston Red Sox before they could win a championship. Nomar. Does Morgan Riley need to be traded this offseason? For the Leafs to truly get over the hump. There we go. There's my sports talk radio bit. But it's funny because I actually genuinely do believe it. I think that if now you look skip. at his... <laughs> now skip. Now hold on there, skip. <laughs> go. I want you to finish the bet. Keep going. No, I, I, I can't. You just keep going. I just had to get my now skip in there before you said something intelligent that ruined it. Morgan Riley is overrated, does not provide enough value, even strength. What you need to do is you need to trade him. You need to trade him for someone who plays defense. That's His my, that's first move as the executive was to sign Lamar Odom, who is on crack. <laughs> it, only no, took, I, it only took, what, 55? I don't know how many minutes we are into this. For us 50, completely 58. Yeah, we, we've just yeah. completely broken down here. Yeah, you as you were saying, you were comparing Morgan Riley to DeMar DeRozan. I don't think it's a terrible comparison because no, everyone loves him. The idea of trading him hurts your heart. Yeah. But I think your brain knows that it's the right decision in the long run. I'm not saying do it this season. I'm saying let him put up as many points as he can humanly put up on the power play this year and then trade him for something and use that something to make your team better. I think it's something Daryl Morey would do. I think it's something a lot of smart people who understand on-ice value and value around the league. I think Morgan Riley's value around the league is a lot higher than the actual value he provides when he's on the ice. And if you can take advantage of that differential... I think it improves your chances of winning a Stanley Cup. So that's my bid on Morgan Riley. 
That's you, although that that's that's kind of you implying the Leafs won't win the Cup this year, which is absolute haberdash. Yeah, because it's probably going to be their best chance to win it that they'll ever get with this North Division in the playoff format. I'm, I'm just saying long term, if you're the Leafs, Morgan Riley's contract isn't going to be great. So if you could trade him before you have to give him a big payday, I would recommend it. All right, so we're going to rip through our last two Leafs topics here because we're reaching the hour and Rachel will get mad at me and I'm deathly terrified of her even though she's you know my best friend yeah we always used to shoot for like 40 minutes or 45 and the longer you go it's not happening uh, it's just gonna piss off rachel yeah um (laughs) jimmy vc okay i'll give you my take on jimmy vc what does he Uh, do he's someone you trust in his own end because of his long stick defensively and he can penalty kill a little bit and if you pass him the puck and give him an open net he will score on that shot but I got to be honest, I didn't love the Jimmy VC signing when it happened. I didn't really get it. And then I saw him stapled into the top six yeah. for the first few games of the season. And I'm thinking, what are, what are the least seeing here that I'm not seeing? Just because I think he's such a bad transition player. And I think his ability to pick up a puck in the defensive zone and do anything with it to advance it up the ice, he can't do that. So you play him with guys who you figure can transition the puck and then maybe you get some offensive value out of him and you, you get his defensive value that you trust him on the penalty kill with. But... Man, it's just not working, and I think it's time to pull the plug on this experiment and and try someone else in that spot, because I didn't get it at the time, I continue to not get it now, but they're so low on forward depth right now that maybe they have to play them, especially like you said, with Hyman and Thornton hurt, does VC get another chance in the top six? I just... Frankly, I'm. I, it, it feels like Cody Cece or Roman Polak or a player that you just watch enough times and you go, yeah, I'm not liking this, and the coaching staff disagrees with you, and you just have to let bygones be bygones at that point. I disagree with the Leafs' evaluation of Jimmy VC this offseason. I didn't think he was someone worth signing, and he, they're playing him a lot of minutes for a guy that I don't think is impacting the game too well. There's certain. This happens in video games a lot to me. There are certain players that you know you want to work so badly. And they just they just don't. But you give them every chance to like, for example, I'm the GM of the Detroit Tigers and MLB 20, the show, you know, I'm on I'm in 2028 when I knew it comes to bring this up. I wasn't sure if it was 2K or MLB the show. That it's was M- get it's MLB up. the show. And okay. there was I, I, I unfortunately had to trade him for mainly for payroll. I would have kept him if, if it wasn't. Um, but there's this shortstop, Ryan Valade. And I liked, you know, I, I really liked the look of him. I liked what he did. I liked his, you know, his attributes were great. But you know, he just every time and, and I'm, I'm playing full seasons, basically, he just wasn't able to hit. He just never I, I kept putting him in a position to succeed and he never did it. And eventually I'm like, look, I want you to work so bad, but I just I, I, I can't do it anymore. I, we we got to get the prospects in here. We got to We got to do something. And had to, had to dump him. And I think like I think Jimmy VC is is the Leafs always seem to have this kind of guy. And I think Jimmy VC is then, you know, the new Ryan Valade, the new Mike's, you know, to uh, uh, MLB, the show player. We're like they want him to work so bad. And look, you can't get mad at, you know, 900 grand like one year. Look, they, they can just walk away from him at the end of the year, stash him on the taxi squad this year. It's not a league minimum contract, which is no, it's not what I thought he was worth. But so it's very surprised when he came in. I know. I, well, I mean, it's yeah, less than Pierre Engvall, who is not bearable. Exactly. And now is not waiver exempt either. But yep. it's at the same time, like this guy getting every chance to succeed and not taking it. That's what's bugging me is if this was a guy you brought in and if this was an out like, look, if this was a Barabanov situation where, you know, he's a, he's a they're re- making relatively the same here. He was, you know, a, a kind of a, a ballyhooed KHL signing like he was, you know, he was sought after by different teams and his he's got flashy highlights in the KHL and people were pretty high on him. Is At he least, the next Ilya Mikheyev? You know, we're all wondering that exactly. season. Yeah. And he hasn't really been given a chance 
at least to to prove any worth. Like he's just being given some spot fourth line minutes and then taken out of the lineup every once in a while. This is not that situation. You know, VC is being given every opportunity to grab hold of a very, you know, very lucrative, if you will, roster position on a line with John Tavares and William Nylander, you know, two very good hockey players. If you're passing the puck to one of those guys, it's likely not going to be mishandled. And he hasn't done anything with it. And then you bump him down the lineup to think maybe this will suit your strengths, give him less, you know, weaker competition, still play with good players. You know, you still play like Jason Spezza, like, you know, he's old, but he's still a decent player to play with guys on the floor. One of the most productive bottom six forwards of the last two years. Yeah, exactly. Vintage. The guy scored a friggin hat trick a little while ago. And yet he hasn't hasn't done that. He doesn't any, hasn't done anything with that either. I, I this is a very peculiar player to me. He hasn't worked on the first line. He hasn't worked on the second line. He hasn't worked on the third line. He hasn't worked on the fourth line. Frankly, I don't want to talk about Jimmy Vesey. Wow. Ian, Ian's swing, swinging his dick around on the podcast right when he got here. What do you want me to say? He's, just, just don't, don't he's, he's a peculiar player to me. He's getting so many chances, and I want to know why. And he's also not taking those chances, and I want to know why. It's, 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 it's bugging me out. Um, and I guess we'll get to our last one here, because this is actually important. Now, I know you don't really want to talk about Alexander Barabanov, but this is more playing into a trend that the Leafs have had, where they, they bring in you know European free agents particularly you know sweden and uh particularly from sweden and from russia and they don't work out and then they kind of get stashed and yet still the leafs have this reputation as a team that has a real you know that has a really good um relationship with these players and is a really you know look attractive destination but when you bring in like bear benov is one thing but letnin i this is a guy that you know basically all all 30 other NHL teams wanted. He's the consensus best defenseman outside of the NHL. He's the best defenseman in the KHL for sure. And he's sitting in the press box most nights. And I know he hasn't looked very good when he does, but he, when he does get on the ice, but he hasn't, but again, he's been given like eight minutes of ice time per night. This is not a sustainable situation. They cannot keep stashing, you know, a, a guy of this caliber, you know, that, and what it'll do to kind of their reputation in the international market. They can't keep doing it. At the same time, if he's getting crushed every time he plays in third pair of minutes, I remember there was one night there was him. Yeah, and Dermot, it was rough. And I was looking at my my little charts after the game. It showed that he had a negative twenty five shot differential against the Ottawa Senators. I've never seen one that low. And I know again, just one game. But the reason that you bring in these European free agents, the reason that you try to find the next Ilya Mikheyev or the next Nikita Zaitsev, year one of Nikita Zaitsev. Not bad, you know, fair value, you know, nine and a half. What was it? Not, it was a ELC, basically. Yeah. Nine, uh, and he scored 36 000. points, although he did get power play minutes, so that was a thing, but still. Yeah, and Lettinen, for what it's worth, hasn't looked bad on the power play. It's more even strength, mm-hmm. the, the problem there. I don't have a problem with the Leafs doing this. I don't have a problem with the Leafs bringing over free agents and seeing if they can play in the lineup, but with Barabana, it's clear that he can't. With Miko Lettinen... So far, his results have been bad at 5-on-5, five five, despite sheltered usage. And he's heavily sheltered yeah. and still getting outplayed at even strength. So I know that we want to say, oh, you can't just you know bring this guy over. You, you gave him all this money. You said that you'd give him a roster spot. And now you're benching him. At some point, the players decide who plays. And I don't think he's been playing very well. You know, that's a very good point. But he hasn't... But- he hasn't been being, playing very well, but he also hasn't been playing very much. Like being an athlete, like it's tough because you need con- some sort of consistency. Like you need, like rhythm is so important for these guys, and you you really do kind of get used to playing. You get that feel, 
it's tough to develop any rhythm, any momentum when it comes to your own career and your own athletic pursuits. When you're in one night, out the other, you know, in two nights, out the next three, yada, yada. Like, he's really kind of being yo-yoed. And even when he does get in, he plays eight minutes a night, basically. Like, how is he supposed to look good in those minutes, I think? That would be my rebuttal here, is that... Yeah. And that's what I always said about Josh Levo exactly. and Justin Hall, you know, that if you're not giving him a legitimate chance to succeed, I mean, what do you expect? It's a self-fulfilling process. Exactly. Like Justin Hall, when he, when, you know, that year replayed 11 games, he looked like crap in most of those 11 games, because, like, what do you expect from him? He's, you know, he's getting yo-yoed in and about, and he's, being, he's sitting in the press box for most of the season. Like, what can you expect? I don't, we don't know how long Jake Mosin's going to be out. I'm assuming it's going to be, you know, probably a week. They said he'll miss some time. And the, when they've said that about players, it's being, you know, it's being lengthy. He, this is a chance for him to kind of step up as much as we'll talk about, you know, it, you can do a quick diatribe about how Travis Dermott's going to look in the top four, but this is a big, I'm, I'm not looking at Travis Dermott here because I, I have, I have more faith in him stepping into a top four role and succeeding than I do, you know, letting in and also Justin Hall thriving without Jake Muzzin, but, but letting in stepping into a role in a top six role. So I don't know, but Moving on, to, I guess, to Travis Dermott to close this out, man. Your boy's in the top four. I mean, for what, a game or two before he goes back down? Well, to the de- like how, it depends on how long Jake Muzzin's out. I think they'll probably stick with him. Yeah, and the reason I've been a fan of Travis Dermott for so long, for anyone who isn't familiar with you know my obsession with this guy, is uh, I think the element of hockey that we tend to underrate uh, the most is how well you defend the rush and how well you defend the neutral zone. And Travis Dermott throughout his career... You can look up the numbers on this, but he's always had some of the best transition defensive numbers in the NHL because of his tight gap in the neutral zone. He doesn't allow very many controlled entries against. He doesn't allow a lot of rush opportunities, and that's a good thing. What's interesting about him is that when he's played up in the lineup, usually when you move up the lineup from, say, a third-pair role to a second- or first-pair role, your results drop off considerably. And if if we were to put it in a graph, let's say, because I love my (laughs) graphs— You'd see, like, there'd be, like, a line, you know? You'd see, okay, when you were in the sheltered bottom pair role, you did really well, and then as we moved you into tougher minutes, your results got worse Mm -hmm. and worse. With Travis Dermott, his chart, it's just a bunch of dots everywhere. He's done well in tough minutes. He's done poorly in tough minutes. In sheltered minutes, he's done well early in his career. And then last year, he had a few moments where he actually was kind of terrible. And he's one of these guys who I have a difficult time evaluating, at least over the last few years, because... Early in his career, I loved what I saw, and I thought, okay, this is a bona fide top four defenseman talent-wise. We'll see if they give him the opportunity. Now I find myself questioning my own existence <laughs> just because I don't know what he is anymore. They don't trust him on the penalty kill. They're they're playing him at 5-on-5 five five where he does well with Zach Bogosian, who, by the way, I don't think Bogosian's the one driving that pairing. I think it's Travis Dermott. No, but I also think he's looked pretty good this year. I, I, I hammered the drum. I think he's been fine. He's a million dollars, and he's a right... Shot defenseman, he hasn't been that bad. That's, I think, a fair assessment. But yeah, with Dermott... Thank you. Him and Hall have always played well at every level. You know, whether at the NHL level, the AHL level, they've been a good partnership. I'm not sure if they're going to be the matchup pair that you give the tough minutes to, but then at the same time, if you're giving the tough minutes to Morgan Riley and company, that hasn't gone well either this season. This is why I think Jake Muzzin is the least best defenseman and most important defenseman. Oh, for sure. His ability to take tough minutes and put up positive results with anyone, with Nikita Zaitsev. You know, he he can do it with anyone. So he made Nikita Zaitsev tradable. Jake Muzzin in that play in that in that playoff run. Or not playoff run. It was like seven games, but it was a really, was a really long, long run. run. Yeah. But in in that series, like where that was a decent pair because Jake Muzzin was just 
you know, you know, potato sack carrying him like a, you know, like you did a kid who just doesn't want to leave the birthday party. We have to put him on his shoulders and he's kicking and screaming. He was, you know, just dragging Nikita Zaitsev up to positive value or something resembling that. And I think that's what got him traded. So good for, good for Jake Muzzin. This is a Titanic loss. It sewered the Leafs season last year when he was lost in Columbus. And now, I mean, we don't know how long he's going to be out, but he's got a broken face. That's pretty important. So yeah, I remember when I saw that tweet, but Chris Johnson, like, like broken dude. face, jeez, poor jeez. Muzzin. Wow, that's very descriptive, but we should probably yes, get out of should. here. I don't think too many people want to hear me just ramble on about Travis Dermott, but if there is an extended uh, period of, of play here where he gets a run with Justin Hall and the numbers are, as I imagine, they'll be pretty mm-hmm. good, is that something that makes you think, hey, maybe we can run a, a Dermott-Hall pairing and mess around with some of the other pairings, or are you just so stuck in that Muzzin-Hall-Riley-Brody top four that you eventually Travis Dermott just goes back down to the third pair? I think I'm pretty stuck there. I think, I, I, If anything, I think I'm stuck in the, the, the Muzzin-Hall because it just works so well, and I'm really intrigued to see how Justin Hall can work without Jake Muzzin because we saw after Jake Muzzin went down last season, twice, Hall became a disaster. Um, when when that went down, so I really I re- I'm really interested to see whether or not this you know the the really positive attributes that Hall has put up this season you know he's looked fantastic he's in that conversation of being one of the Leafs' best defensemen I'm I, I'm interested to see if he can keep or at least like not dip as low as he did before because I think there's obviously going to be a dip when you you know go from Jake Muzzin to anyone else really but it's going to be really interesting to see and, and by the time the listeners hear this they will have at least one game of sample size uh, to figure that out on but. We don't have a Kovalev shift this week because Rachel's usually the one that gets mad, and I'm not really mad with anything. I'm kind of, I'm fine with it. It's fine. And I think Ian's pretty good, too. He seems to, you know, he's a very positive guy. Yeah, unlike unlike Morgan Riley's shot differential, oh, I'm a positive Okay, guy. never mind. I mean, he. this is clearly a point of contention for you. Did Morgan Did Morgan <laughs> Riley, like, you know, run like run over your dog or something at some point? Like, you don't... I really like him as a person. Yeah. I just feel like my job is to evaluate hockey players, and he is a guy that keeps coming up to me as someone who I think is not as good as his reputation. Yeah. All right, fair point, fair point. Well... On that note, we will bid you farewell. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, any podcatcher imaginable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MikeyStevens81, Ian on Twitter at Ian Graff, the podcast on Twitter at Staff Graff, buy our merch on Redbubble, redbubble.com slash Staff Graff, and write us a review, you know, uh, on, on any of you, those fine podcasters. It'll help us rocket up the charts. And Ian, I will see you on Friday. Yeah, it was great to be back. This is fun. Maybe I'll do a pod with some point with Rachel and you. Maybe we'll find a way to get us all in a room. Or not in a room because of COVID, but all in a Zoom. Who knows? That All in a Zoom. That'd be great. Farewell, folks. <laughs>